Welcome to this week's Market Commentator Podcast Money Web series of interviews with investment professionals. Our guest this week is Gary Boyson, a portfolio manager at Rand Swiss. Gary, welcome to the show. Now, you were head of trading at Vunani Private Clients. Tell us about the decision to go it on your own. <laughs> yeah, uh, thanks Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, obviously, I worked for Vunani for what was close on six years. I mean, we, we were bought out right in the beginning uh, when we, we merged a whole lot of companies together, include, including Cafiso Online and a few other small brokers. And I mean, I really helped them uh, grow that business from, from, from next to nothing up to, you know, probably a mid-tier stockbroker. And uh, I think, yeah, I just decided that, uh, you know, after seeing how, how to do it, uh, it was time to do it for myself. So, so yeah, we put in the licensing applications uh, sort of earlier this year. We approved probably about a month, a month and a half, almost two months ago. So it's it's very formative. It's a very new venture, and uh, and yeah, like I said, we got the licensing in place, and it's all very exciting. And we've been onboarding our first clients and been working with all the usual partners. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a new and exciting venture for us. Potentially a fairly tough time to start um, an asset manager or a broker. You could argue in the current sort of volatile markets. What is Rand Swiss's value proposition? Would you say? <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, a lot of guys ask me why why Rand Swiss, Gary. That uh, it's an interesting name. It is. And, and, and I mean, yeah. Well, the first thing I say is it's because my wife is Swiss, <laughs> so she always had to have a little bit of <laughs> say in the company. <laughs> but um, yeah, really, I mean, I mean, it's 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 exactly uh, you know the feel that 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 we wanted because the, the whole philosophy behind the company was uh, you, you know locally. I mean, most of the clients that we talk to, I mean, their businesses are local, their houses are local, um, you know, their holiday homes are local, and I mean, we do we deal with private clients. Um, so their, their exposure locally is massive. So, mm. And it's, it's part of our investment philosophy that you, you need to take uh, funds offshore to, to have a properly diversified portfolio. Um, and that's why, I mean, we look at uh, you know all sorts of different offshore options to, to, to take money out of South Africa. And that, that sort of takes care of the Swiss portion of the name. But, um, you know, again, our ex- expertise will always be local. I mean, it, it's, you know, while we run, and I'll tell you a little bit about this product in a bit, but um, while you, you can add Googles and Apples and Amazons into your portfolio, um, you'll never quite have the exposure to the companies that you do to local companies. And, and you can't phone up the, the CEO of Google and, and, and get an update on, on where he thinks the company is going. You can mm. do that in South Africa. So I think, I mean, I'm, I'm very much, uh, you know, positive on the outlook for South Africa. I think, uh, you know, maybe with, uh, you know, elections coming up soon, uh, you know, the, the politics in South Africa has become a lot more vocal. And it's, uh, you know, you've seen consumer go at least, to, you know, confidence, business confidence uh, dropping a little bit. Mm. I mean, you've seen the RAND blowing out recently as well. But, but from my point of view, I still, I mean, like you, you asked me, I mean, I'm starting a business in this country because I believe in its future. And uh, I think there's more opportunity in South Africa to make money than, than overseas. But I still think that it's a very wise move for clients to take, money, take funds offshore. And, uh, and really, that, that's where you, you protect your money. But if you want, you want opportunity, South Africa is your place. Let's talk about um, being involved with company management. You raised a good point that as a South African investor, you can go to AGMs, you can go to results presentations and really get a feel um, for the management of a company. Why is that important when it comes to investing your money? No, I think I think you've always got to understand uh, you know, the, the company that you're investing in. I mean, you, you know, unless you, you 
you know, going for a pure diversification of ETFs where you're just getting a little bit to, and your, your investment philosophy is to buy because it's big. I mean, if you're buying something like Satrix 40, I mean, you, you've got to understand the business that, that, that you're operating in. I mean, it's the only way to really generate alpha for clients is to understand the companies that you that you, you want and understand where the benefits are for that company. And, uh, and, and yeah, like I said, that's how you generate alpha. I mean, mm. if, you look at, if you look at our offshore portfolios, I mean, we, we don't, uh, you know, pretend to be experts in offshore. I mean, we're not. So, so what we, we've run, and I mean, we ran it very successfully at Winoni as well. Um, there they called it the Global Titans portfolio. I mean, we, we literally did, uh, you know, basket ETF trackers, probably with, with 60% of the, the funds, uh, somewhere around there, that diversifies it, you know, from you know, a portion in the U.S., a portion in, in Europe, and a portion in, in China. Um, you, take, you take a diversified equity ETF, something like the Vanguard uh, S&P tracker. It's very low cost for clients. But it also, it, it, it then, um, at least then you, you either overweight or you go underweight, depending on your macro view. So, I mean, we had a view that uh, we thought U.S. earnings were going to be more positive than, uh, than the European earnings. And so we were slightly overweight U.S., slightly underweight in, in Europe. And uh, we were actually were, were slightly overweight China as well, but then neutral weighted it as that, uh, that market sort of started heading to the moon. And um, and then yeah, I mean with the, the extra forty percent, I mean what we what we do our investment philosophy as, as well as uh, especially uh, offshore we do run it on local local stocks as well. We, we use a quant, a quant ranking model, so we look at all the fundamentals of the company. Um, it gives us the ability to scan across uh, you know an enormous amount of stocks that that you just can't do if you if you're really doing bottom up stock picking, and uh, and go and find proper opportunities and then go and understand those businesses properly. And then it's, it's called it's called a core and explore strategy. So your core would be that ETF basket, and then you explore with uh, you know a couple of uh, you know exciting companies that your scans have picked up. Um, for example, we also had the view that the, the US dollar was going to continue to strengthen, and uh, and, the, and so we we actually you know in the investment committees we looked at uh, you know really trying to find US companies that had their, their earnings you know primarily coming from uh, and revenue driven primarily from uh, within US borders. So so not looking at exporting companies. And we added things like Home Depot and Starbucks and and a few others. And I mean we we then benchmarked that portfolio against MSCI World because obviously we have to know know where we stand. Um, and uh, I mean that this portfolio is doing absolutely fantastically well. Hmm. Um, if you if you look at it, uh, I mean we're outperforming MSCI World, but it was like a percent every month. But, um, you know, again, you also get the currency component. So as the round was blowing out, I mean, it, it was just making this compared to local funds, it was making it look absolutely spectacular. Now, whether, whether the round's going to continue to, to blow out, I mean, that's a, probably a debate for another day. I mean, we can go into that for a long time as well. But, um, yeah, def- definitely, you know, there's different strategies and different, different ways of picking companies there, depending on, um, you know, which, which jurisdiction you're looking at. And it is a difficult time at the moment in markets. I mean, I mentioned that earlier. You mentioned the US, Europe, China. We've seen lots of movement in the Chinese um, markets, Europe as well, with the Greek crisis. And uh, US corporate earnings reports fairly disappointing this week. How would you approach or, or how would you recommend that investors approach investing in these volatile times? Which strategies do you think are going to win out? Again, remember, um, you, you know, like I look at it more from an advisory and a stockbroking point of view. So, so mm. it, for me, every investor is a, a very different, different animal, and mm. um, you know, there's no one one strategy that fits every every client. I mean, I, I know that from from dealing with hundreds and thousands of clients over the years, yeah. and uh, and each person, you know, would would require different exposure. 
um, you know, if, you, if you're looking at it again, if, you, if you've got a longer term view and, and I mean, you, you're really looking to be in the market for, for 20, 20, 30 years, you, you don't listen to the, 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 the noise that, that we're getting at the moment. Yeah. Um, Again, I mean, is this going to be a proper correction? I mean, it's, it's very difficult to tell. I mean, there, there are plenty of products that you can use to, you know, put hedges in place, you know, really bring down your risk if that's what you're looking to do. But again, if you're a long-term investor, I, I believe you should be looking at, uh, you know, you're looking at stocks like, I mean, Amazon obviously reported last week as well. Mm. And it's, uh, I mean, numbers were, were exceptional. And it just showed, I mean, companies like Amazon, um, you know, they, they have such a large R&D spend. And Amazon's one, you know, it sort of swings from profits to losses, uh, you know, almost constantly. Um, but the reason for that is because they spend so much on R&D. And every time, you know, the market's getting a little bit wary, they just pull back a little bit on the R&D costs and, and suddenly you see a, a brilliant earnings coming through. I mean, for me to go invest in things like that, things like Google, where, where they've just got such a huge research spend, um, that they're, they're really not struggling. I mean, these are not marginal companies, perhaps like our South African miners are at the moment. Mm. These, are, these are companies that if they need to turn on earnings, they can. But what they're doing instead is reinvesting in their own businesses. They're reinvesting in new products. I mean, it was also, you mentioned this earnings season. I mean, you look at Google's earnings. It's, it's one of the reasons they outperformed analyst expectations massively as well. is because they just showed that they could get a handle on their cost. I mean, while they are investing in things like driverless cars, uh, you know, Google goggles and all augmented reality, they can. They can put on the brakes and they can turn on the earnings if they have to. Um, at this stage, they just don't have to. They, they'd rather plow it back into improving their own companies. Now, that's, that's definitely sectors that, that I would be looking at and that you want to look at for the long term. Mm. And, and here in South Africa, Gary, which stocks do you like here? Oh, um, yeah, I mean, we, again, you know, because we, we sort of have a more of a stockbroking mentality, uh, we send out a lot of research to clients. So if, if actually, if you go and sign up here, you can sign up on the website for free. Um, we normally give our 10 recommended stocks. Uh, so at the moment, we, we, we are looking pretty conservative. Um, you know, I've perennially loved Aspen. I think it's uh, absolutely fantastic. It hasn't quite performed for us this year, but it's definitely got to be on the list. Um, we like things like definitely like uh, a company like PSG. I mean, if you look at the sum of the parts and, and its underlying operating businesses, I mean, obviously with this uh, Advertech Curo deal going on now, mm. I mean, it's going to be brilliant. Uh, you know, it's going to be earnings enhancing for Curo as well. Mm. Um, you look at its capital exposure, we think buying the basket through PSG is a, is a lovely uh, way for, for clients to get exposure to a number of fantastic businesses. Um, you know, again, we, you know, in one of our quant scans, we actually picked up Steinoff, uh, you know, Steinoff and Mondi at the beginning of the year, stocks that you just have to hold. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steinoff, we liked ahead of its listing in Frankfurt, and we backed it, uh, you know, right, right from, from the beginning of the year, and it's, it's done fairly well for this year so far. Um, obviously, also coming after some, some corporate earnings last week, uh, at least uh, a corporate announcement last week that uh, decides Steinbuild will be buying uh, Iliad. And then, yeah, I mean, obviously, even though we've had rate hikes recently, uh, you know, we still like to, in the retailers, we still like Woolies and Mr. Price. Um, there's no question about that. I mean, especially with what Woolies is doing with David Jones offshore. Mm. Um, and that list, I mean, that list does, does tend to change, uh, you know, depending on, on updates from the company. But, uh, you know, if you, if you go for, for those solid blue chip companies, I still think that you'll be fine. You mentioned Steinhoff and its um, offer to acquire Iliad Africa. That's a building materials company for around 1.3 billion rand. What do we know about Iliad? 
Hey, well, Iliad, I mean, Iliad, it's probably been a little bit of an underperformer in the sector so far. So if you look at the, the peers, so something like cash build and um, you know, even, even mass build to an extent, I mean, it's, it's actually been a, a sector that, that's been fairly well. I mean, you know, selling, selling products, uh, you know, for home improvement, uh, it's, uh, I mean, I, I, I was listening to the Iliad CEO the other day and he's saying it's almost like a food stuff. I mean, you know, it doesn't matter, it, it might be a cyclical industry, but people will need to build houses. So, yeah. So, so you know, books will sell, and uh, and I think if you look at the actual actual deal that they're doing, I mean, it's going to work very well. I mean, their their footprint is, you know, doesn't it hardly overlaps, and it's, it's going to give Iliad really a, a boost up into the next level. And I think, I mean, while while the Iliad management's going to stay on there as well, and I mean, obviously, you know, you know, in, in the beginning stages, yeah, I mean, it is still going to run as two separate businesses. I think I think what Steinoff can do, bring in expertise, is going to be very very good for the company. And I think, uh, you know, it's, I think it's a good deal for shareholders. If Kiro does buy Advertech, um, we will have a very sizable private education company on our hands. But at the moment, uh, Kiro and Advertech, rather, management not seeing eye to eye, it seems. Who would be the big winners in this deal if it were to go through? Well, to be honest, I think the shareholders uh, of both companies, obviously, because you've got Cura trading on, you know, very, very lofty multiples at the moment, um, and Advertech, you know, far more reasonably priced. Like I said, it's going to be earnings accretive to to Cura. Um, at the same time, you know, you know, Kira, you know, when when they came out of the 13 rand uh, they're about offer, I mean, it's a, it's an enormous premium to to Advertex trading. So, for Advertex shareholders, I think it's a, an excellent opportunity. Um, you know, Kira's made the offer in a way that uh, you know 50% of it is going to be underwritten by cash. Um, they've already spoken to to Kahisa Asset Management and to to Coronation. Mm. They both seem willing to take Kira's script. So. Uh, that that pretty, I mean, and, and between the two of them, I think they own just about 45% of the company. So that really means that uh, you know the, the offer, if it does come, and I mean, there's a lot of lot of talk whether this is a real offer. And uh, I mean, obviously, uh, Frank Thompson's come out and said this is not a real offer. We need we don't need to take it to shareholders yet. But um, you know, if shareholders do get a, a cash, it, it looks like they will be able to get a cash or or script um, option. I mean, if you if you and I think either way, it, it's a good deal for for Advertech shareholders. I mean, you can either take cash at a massive premium to the ruling price, or you can take Cura uh, script, which I still think is is you know, despite the, the you know the very high value uh, high multiple that the stock's trading on, it still has a very bright future. I mean, if you mm. look at the the potential for for private sector low cost schooling expansion. In, in South Africa, it's still enormous. And if you look at their target of, I think it's 80 schools by 2020, yeah, it's it, it can really turn on the money taps. And I mean, you know, some guys have said that there might be competition commission issues, but I think that's comp- you know, I really don't see that being an issue to to the deal, as as there's still a lot of room to grow in in South Africa. I mean, obviously you've got government as a competitor, you've got plenty of independent private schools that aren't listed groups as competitors, and the market. I mean, you know, even even if you had a merged vehicle between Cura and Avitech, it would still be a small player in the overall market and plenty yeah. of room to grow. So I think I think to be honest, a, a win for all shareholders in a very exciting sector. Certainly a deal to keep watching. Let's talk a bit about Krugerrands. This is something that you do offer to clients, as do many other brokers uh, you pointed out to me earlier. The gold price has, of course, come under significant pressure lately and is really off its highs of nearly, I think, $1,900, a fine ounce around 2011, not that long ago. Why is gold still a good investment? I mean, is it still a good investment? And are we going to see the price of gold recover? 
Uh, you know, gold, gold's always a difficult, a difficult one. I mean, you know, like I'll trade gold, but uh, you know, it's very seldom that I recommend gold to to clients as as an investment uh, vehicle. I mean, I'd far rather go and buy a company that has a, a management team that wakes up every morning and tries to think how best to make me money, rather than a, a metal that that's literally just going to be buffeted, uh, you know, by the winds of supply and demand. Mm. And and in gold's case, I mean, it's not even an industrial metal. It's it's really it's a metal that uh, you know is almost purely sentiment driven. So I think a, a lot of the, the sell-off that we've seen recently is obviously it was about uh, it must be about two weeks ago now that uh, China you know released their, their, their uh, some data on their central bank buying I think they had bought 600 tons of gold. Um, you know, first time we had numbers like that released since 2009, and mm-hmm. I think you know a lot of people um, you know pointing and saying that that perhaps that. Uh, was not not quite as much as uh, everyone had hoped they had been buying, and, and that put a lot of pressure on the on the price. There's also been some some sort of speculation about uh, you know market manipulation in gold as well, especially coming out of China because of the volumes that are going through it during very very thin uh, uh, times uh, in the market, and trying to put pressure on it. But but for me, yeah, gold gold is an investment. I mean, you can look at it as a as a hedge, uh, you know. But, but I, I think that there's better ways to get uh, you know hedges. In to your portfolios. I mean, these days we've got very, very complex and and, and very cheap um, methods of, of hedging portfolios. So to go buy uh, gold as, a, as something to diversify your portfolio, I, th- I think there are better options. But um, you know, like 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 you said, I mean, you know, it's something that very few clients know that most stockbrokers can actually buy and sell Kruger rands. I mean, um, there is a double on screen um, for mm. I think ten halves and and uh, four Krugers. And I mean, quite quite often that that because it is very thinly traded. I mean, quite often those prices move around, and I mean, you can it's very easy to work out what the fair value of a Kruger rand is. You take spot gold and times it by the by the rand, and you'll get mm. uh, where the midpoint of the double should be. But um, yeah, like I said, that double pushes out, and, and sometimes you can get uh, quite an opportunity. You'll get your your Kruger rand for five six hundred rand cheaper, whether you're buying or selling. Foreign exchange trading, that's another popular product among stockbrokers. Um, it's come under significant regulatory scrutiny um, off the back of, I suppose, some corrupt practices in this arena. But I'm surprised at how many retail investors I meet who trade in Forex. Can a retail investor really make money off um, Forex trading? Oh, well, you can definitely you can definitely make money, but can you make money consistently? I think is the question that you want to ask. Can um, lose more money, that's for sure. Yeah, I think I think in the long term, the problem with uh, with with currency trading is that it, it, it I think it has a mass appeal to to the retail market because you know they might not understand uh, you know you might not understand a uh, you, you know one of these small cap companies you don't know how to look at it in the right way, but almost everyone has a view on on where the exchange rate is going, mm. um, and you know it's, it's something that you, you get in almost every every news bulletin, where's the exchange rate going? I mean, it's a very talked about instrument. So uh, it it becomes popular because clients feel that they understand it. Again, though, I mean, the way that, that forex trading works, I mean, the gearing is obviously a lot higher than, than even geared uh, stock products. So, I mean, uh, you know, typically if you're trading single stock futures or CFDs in South Africa, you're probably getting about 10 times gearing on your position, um, which obviously means, you know, if you, you take, you know, you buy a share, it goes up 5%, you, you're going to net a, a 50% return in your portfolio. Um, with currency trading, that can be as high as, I mean, I've seen 100, 200, even 500 times geared. So you get, you know, this massive exposure for, for a very small margin deposit, which, which you know, it ups the risk massively. And mm. I think clients don't understand um, quite the impact that, that uh, you know, a violent move in the currencies can have. And I mean, and I say, say retail clients, but I mean, you saw a lot of international currency brokers also getting burnt, uh, you, you know, when the uh, Swiss National Bank 
they've changed their uh, their policy. Yeah. And, and I mean, we, we saw some of the biggest brokers in the world uh, going out of business, and we saw uh, brokers, you know, not honouring their commitments because uh, obviously they, they said that it was impossible for them to trade the underlyings. And mm. uh, I mean, it's yeah, it's 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 definitely it's definitely not a sector for the faint heart. Absolutely not. I think you make a very good point there. Finally, Gary, what's the one thing that you are watching most closely at the moment in markets? Oh, probably, I don't want to say the Fed hike because I think everyone's watching, <laughs> watching to see when the Fed hike is, if, if and when it's going to be. I still think it's going to be towards the end of next year, but uh, Yellen seems determined to at least make a token hike this year. Um, Interesting yeah, well, view. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, it's, it's quite contrary. But uh, with, yeah, I think I think definitely at the moment uh, all, all eyes on the U.S. I think you know Greece has Greece has sort of taken a bit of a back seat. Um, you know, with all the sort of market saving moves China has made as well. I think the focus has come off China. Um, and as, as I mean, we've been expecting that uh, as the US earnings season starts to ramp up, uh, you know, the focus is just going back onto how are these, uh, how are these companies doing, um, what uh, sort of condition is the consumer in, and uh, are they still making money? Quickly, why do you think the Fed will only rate hike, uh, hike rates at the end of next year? <laughs> No, 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 not at the end. I, I think I think you're going to see a rate hike. Uh, well, it's been my view for a long time that you'll see it sort of beginning of 2016. Okay. Um, again, I just I don't I don't think there's enough inflation in the system. I, I'm starting to believe that that uh, you know Janet Yellen will will do one small token rate hike this year just just to maintain Fed credibility. But I, I just I don't believe that the, there's um, you know, there's not enough inflation in the U.S. system. The, the dollar is too strong at the moment. And, uh, and and I mean I just I, I don't think that they need to hike uh, yet. Um, yeah, 2016. You know, and you've seen it. I mean, we've been talking about is there going to be a Fed rate hike all the way through 2014? It continually gets pushed out. We haven't had it pushed out yet, but uh, I think there's still room for for the analysts to reassess their opinion one more time. Here we go. Gary Boyson is a portfolio manager at Rand Swiss.